Hello, my name is Jeremy, and uh, this is my podcast, Penny Tolerable. Welcome to the first official episode. Uh, I hope everyone's getting off some fun with us. I know I will. Well, let's let's not make any predictions that we're not going to be able to follow <laughs> through on, okay? Uh, hi, uh, Jeremy. Uh, go ahead and introduce your guest. <laughs> Uh, this is my guest, my brother Nathaniel, my beloved brother Nathaniel. Oh, well, thank you, buddy. Hey, I got here through, uh, sheer nepotism, I'm afraid. Yeah, sleeping your way to the top. <laughs> okay. Um, let's get right to it, then. I don't want to have to address that. Uh, what are we talking about in this episode, Charlie? In this episode, we're talking about Mystery Science Theater 3000, oh or as Penn Gillette weirdly would pronounce it, Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> you, you Coming were, up next! You remember those, right? I do. What would it be like if Mystery Science Theater, say the Netflix revival, what if they aired that on Comedy Central today? You would have the Kyle Kinane voiceover. Oh, God, yeah. So, yeah, so uh, over, like, a clip of Trevor Noah's audience pretending to clap, you just have, <laughs> coming up next, M. Waverly and Growler get themselves into a fix. It's Time Travelers on Mystery Science <laughs> Theater 3000. <laughs> just human vocal fry. <laughs> I love Kyle Kinane, but he's like a walking ashtray. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen to that guy all day. Yeah, he's good. Um... Now, what were your first recollections of Mystery Science Theater 3000 when were you first introduced to it? Well, I was quite young the first time that I saw it, to the point where uh, it's like how Douglas Adams tells the story about how he came up with the idea for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and he admitted in later years that the anecdote he always told about like lying in a field in England and recollecting the story... He later said that he's not sure if that ever happened, that he has no actual recollection of that. He just recalls telling the story so much. That's kind of me with Mystery Science Theater. I think my first exposure was probably seeing this weird movie and then noticing the little silhouettes in the bottom. But that's how everybody, at least our age, who stumbled uh, onto it somewhat randomly... Uh, That's how everybody says they first discovered it. So I don't know if that's truly universal or if I'm just going with, oh, that seems like the way that people tend to come across mystery science. I might have seen a clip here or there, but I do recall the first episode I ever saw was uh, Wild Rebels. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's that's the uh, like the youth gang one, right? Yeah, with all, all the the one that's uh, not side hackers. Yeah, yeah, I recall that one, and maybe it's just that introductory fondness. I think that does remain one of my favorite episodes from that era. So maybe it was a good introduction, and uh, in particular, uh, we probably came in about halfway through. Uh, there's a scene, they're being chased by the cops, and one of the gang members goes, what's that coming up behind us? And I don't even know which of the three riffers it was, but they go, it's the sun, it always comes up this time of day. Which is funny enough, but like, to a little kid, you're just, <laughs> that's the literally the cleverest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Like the, or, it's the same way like in uh, Hercules, like the, look, I'm hungry. Listen, I'm cold. <laughs> Again, nothing is funnier than that when you're like 
eight, nine, ten years old. Yeah. And what about you? Do you have a clear first memory? Okay. There was a clear first memory. It's because, like, a lot of the things that I am into, you were into it first, and you turned me onto it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was... Like edge play. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you told... One night you said, uh, hey, do you want to watch Mystery Science Theater 3000? And I didn't know what the hell you were talking about. I heard mystery in theater, and I thought it was like a PBS Agatha Christie thing. Yeah, you figured you'd be watching some Edward Gorey illustrated credits in no time. Yeah, like that's literally what I thought it was. I thought, okay, why not? You usually write about stuff like this. I write a lot. And it might have been that, and it might have been just me flipping through channels one day and seeing a host segment where Joel was, he had an aquarium in front of Cambot, and he was dipping in, uh, like, little men. And the men that he would always oh, use, yes. it was always... It was always uh, one of the Harkonnens from the Dune line. It was Baron Harkonnen. Baron Harkonnen. It was either that... It was occasionally another Harkonnen. Uh, it was always either that or the very first Magneto figure from the X-Men line. Yeah, which works because the... I mean, we're really getting into it now, but... Uh, the mystery science theater aesthetic, especially in the early years, in later years they would go out of their way to recreate cheapness in a way that I think they did well. I feel like that's a style the show never lost, and I'm really fond of it. But in the first, let's say, two, three seasons, that was not an affectation. It was just that cheap. I recall the Devil Dog episode where it was very clearly, uh, what's the guy's name? Even? Well, like, the bone dinosaur guy from He-Man. It's like Grim Bones or yeah, something. Yeah, or something like that. And it's just a skeleton dinosaur, so they painted those red, which also meant that the devil dogs were almost inaudible or unintelligible, rather, because With of the, the clacking. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Whenever they had to do uh, figures of astronauts and scientists, because that's most of the characters in the, the old movies, they would get Dune action figures or Magneto, and we're getting really specific, but this is the first Magneto figure released for the first X-Men line from Toy Buzz, had a removable helmet, and he looked so much like a 1950s astronaut. Even the head sculpt could have passed for Leslie Nielsen and his pre-comedic role. That's what I was going to say. It looks like Leslie Nielsen from Forbidden okay. Planet. Well, we're really getting into it now. Uh, do we want to dwell on first introductions? I think like most people who saw the show, uh, we were hooked pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. immediately. It's not It's not something you're ambivalent about. It's, it's like the Mighty Boosh. Like, I saw it and went, oh, okay, I like this now. Yeah. Um... So, do we want to explore our personal reactions to it, or are we looking for a more chronological approach to the show? Um, well, you'll have to excuse us, there's some audio outside, but uh, we're just going to forge through that. What was your question? I was just saying, uh, is this more about our reactions to the show, or are we kind of walking through the show itself? Like, are we going to go through the different eras, uh, or is it more to do with... The eras of our lives as we watch the thing. Um, a little bit of both, because right. 
one of the things I remember from my childhood, very fond memory from my childhood, was, uh, it was either flying or driving to Minnesota, where our relatives lived, to go to the Mystery Science Theater 3000 Conventional Con Expo Festorama 2 Electric Boogaloo. Yes, and that was, uh... 1996, and uh, not actually relatives, just very good friends of the family. Oh, but yeah. it was, it was a treat. I, I mean, even without a convention con there, uh, Minneapolis in the summer is actually yeah very oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this is totally off topic. You can cut it if you want. But in addition to the convention, I remember there was a comic shop there. Um, just this incredibly well stocked indie store. And this was, like, the exact age where I was, like, getting sick of Spidey, but was still into comics. So I remember going in there and then leaving with, like, Asterix, Gone the Dinosaur, Poison Elves, Ragmop. Like, really, that as much as Mystery Science Theater was uh, the pop culture takeaway from that visit for me. Yeah, and I remember uh, very fondly we... Uh, the Amazing Colossal Episode Guide. Oh, yes. Yes. Which is terrific, by the way. Which is terrific. Yeah, there's because there were so many bad black and white tie-ins to, like, you know, the Austin Powers movie had a tie-in, which, yeah, even as somebody who was a fan, I did not think was worth buying. The Colossal uh, Episode Guide is very much worth its weight in gold. Yes. Yeah. Because it's not that heavy. Uh, go on. And they actually, I don't know how much it sells for nowadays. If you can find it, then buy it. It is, it is absolutely worth it. Well, it's it's funny because there was a brief period where stuff like that that had gone uh, out of print because I think it is out of print. I think stuff like that was fetching a premium on eBay and uh, Amazon Marketplace for a while, and then it's sort of just plateaued. Like, the same thing happened with that book that the state put out. Like yeah, state, state by state. state with the state. Yeah, I could swear there was a period where that thing was fetching, like, a hundred bucks on eBay, and I was like, well, I really like my copy, though. And then just randomly, you know, looking for stuff to sell, I was on there the other week, and it's, like, less than covered price now. I think people, with very rare exception, like, we just don't want physical media anymore. So even the stuff that was like, you know, save those issues of Miracle Man, like even those are worthless at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we got that signed by... Oh, yes. Basically everyone with the exception of Joel, who was not there. Yeah. Uh, Joel and uh, Frank, if I'm not mistaken. I, I could have sworn Frank was there, didn't he? Isn't, this... that the, isn't that the place where he did the Frank dance in Leotard? He, no, we weren't there for that. That's on one of the uh, scrapbook videotapes, but uh, this was 1996, like right when they were airing the truncated last season on uh, Comedy Central. So Frank had already left the show at that point. I think we, mm. like, we missed Joel by five years or whatever. I think we had just missed Frank being a cast member. But we got everyone, and that includes, like, Bridget, uh, Paul Chaplin, who, by the way, is hilarious. I feel like he never gets yeah. enough credit. Like, Paul's awesome. Yeah, he's, he's not, like, an on-camera presence like the other ones, but he probably wrote more of the episode guide than anyone else I can think of. And 
just every time he like does episode reviews, capsule reviews, he's hilarious. And he plays Pitch, so he yeah. did occasionally get the limelight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, what's Max von Sydow here is calmed down. <laughs> so. Yeah, um, and that was fun. I remember going as uh, Forrester. Yes. <laughs> we were going as Forrester with a green bathrobe as the jacket and huge novelty green glasses. Because when, when you have green glasses, you, the only thing that you can get of them is novelty. <laughs> like, there are no normal green glasses. Right now, there's some Simpsons-esque web listening to this, and he gently folds them into his pocket and goes, Oh! <laughs> um, so yeah, the convention con was the highlight, and also kind of a last hurrah, because the following year, they did the move to Sci-Fi Channel, which... Maybe we'll come back to this later, actually, talking about how each cycle begins and then lasts a little shorter than the previous one. But, yeah, after, like, sci-fi channel years, we didn't see much else from them for a while, I think. Um, do, uh, I mean, this is going to be super elegant, but is that a good segue? Do we want to talk about the different eras of the show? We'll talk about that in a few okay. minutes, actually. Okay. Um... Yeah, the our next our next uh, foray into actually meeting the or actually coming close to them was the uh, movie sign with the Mads. Oh yeah, so jump ahead like yes. over twenty years actually. Yes, yeah, yeah. Trace um, and Frank uh, do a kind of a. It's, it feels like the least formal of the tours compared to Rift Tracks and Joel doing MST3K Live. But that's kind of nice, actually, because they performed at our local Alamo Draft House, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what was your reaction to finally getting to meet them? I was pleased as punch because I just... Um, there were sweethearts. Like, yeah. Trace was such a sweetie. I... T- I just gushed about him, like, gushed to him, like, oh, this is my favorite one, and this is my favorite one, and when you guys said this was good, and Frank was very witty, and, uh, we actually talked a bit, uh, in yes. line. Uh, because with the larger tours, I, I'm not knocking anyone, I understand why it's not an option for Joel to dash out in the lobby in his red jumpsuit and then put up with 5,000 people. But because this was a little more low-key, like, they were they were just hanging out. You could mm-hmm. go talk to them. We did. We tried not to make a nuisance. Like, hey, like, like the guy from the Kevin Smith documentary, like, hey, like, like you want to hang out later? Yeah. And then we- the poor person has to be like, no, <laughs> but it's, it's like, we've occasionally had people, I think Greg Sestero, uh, dropped by, uh, that same theater and yeah, they're chill. You can just like talk to them for a while and the, the guys from monster squad. Yeah. Just you, you try not to be too like overbearing and forgive me for saying it, but like try not to be too Asbury about it. <laughs> like if you're cool, they'll be cool to you. And that's the kind of, uh, celebrity interaction that I tend to enjoy. And I do consider these guys celebrities. They're my kind of celebrity. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, there's so so many components going to making this show good, I think. But uh, as far as on-screen presence, 
the Mads were probably my favorite thing to actually watch. Yes. And if, look, everyone's great. If I had to pick an MV, MVP for uh, Mystery Science Theater, it would be Bobo because he's the most valuable primate. But if it was most valuable player, I'd honestly go for Trace. <laughs> Gun to my head, I think Trace might be my, my all-time favorite to ever work on the show. My favorite thing that Trace would do was the news announcer voice, the... There's not afraid to be a doughy guy. Not afraid to be a doughy guy. Yes. Their beauty will soon fade. (laughs) I'm with you there. Uh, He had that range from puckish idiot to Gregory Peck. B-52 bombers, their bellies full of atomic death. Setting the world on fire and scaring the living shit out of the rest of the world. <laughs> From puck to puck. Yeah. Um, so, what, what else can you tell me? Right, go on with your story, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I remember we got, we got most, if not all, of our cinematic Titanics signed. Oh, yes. In that one fell swoop, two, two nights that they were there, mm-hmm. where they did uh, The Tingler... And Glenn or Glenda, which uh, I told this to Trace Blayu, and he kind of agreed with me. Uh, Glenn or Glenda is a an amazing movie, and it's just it's not a good movie, but it's an amazing movie. It's a, it it's so forward thinking in the trans community. Yeah, absolutely. It's like its heart is in the right place. Uh, Edward, you know, he had like. The latter years got a little darker because success eluded him, and that's unfortunate, but there's something very admirable about Ed Wood, like warts and all, and that movie is like the, the definition of, I would rather watch a bad movie this fascinating than some good movie about how, like, war is bad or, or whatever. Yeah. And I even remember, uh, during the, like, the fever dream middle segment of Glenn or Glenda, uh, Glenn, I guess, is the main character? Yeah. Glenn. Glenn and his, uh, girlfriend are, uh, talking to the doctor, uh, whoever, whatever his specialty is, and she says, uh, well, well, what should we do? Should I ignore him till he changes? Or, like... You know, should I take drastic measures? And the doctor says, no, no, you must simply love him. Love is always the answer. And Frank, from the audience, from riffing from the audience, he goes, I don't have a joke about that. That's just awesome. Yeah, 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 it's like, so it ends up being like among the, I, I will say there are, through all the various Mystery Science Theater riff track properties, I could maybe pick out about a dozen movies that I think are actually good. That, to me, is actually one of the more admirable, both in terms of uh, its mores and also just in terms of uh, artistic endeavor, even if it fails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see? Yeah, see? Yeah, I run this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, I do. Yeah. Don't even and, forget it. And more, we did see a live show more recently, but... Maybe save that for the end because that's our. Yeah, I think yeah, we just because it actually postdates the Netflix years, so maybe that would be a good uh, epilogue territory. Yes, I think so. A real backseat host here. Um, it's interesting. The uh, for those of you who don't know about the show, 
it. And I don't know why you're listening to this if I was you gonna, don't know about the show. I was going to say, we, we just kind of leapt off the trapeze and started talking about this. If somebody doesn't already know Mystery Science Theater, like, I cannot, you would not be listening 20 minutes into this podcast. Which is maybe another reason we can skip, like, the actual uh, history of the show, like... Where did Joel get the idea for those crazy wise cracking robots? Like, I feel like documentaries and books have covered that, so maybe this will be more of a personal journal than a uh, everything you wanted to know about this show, but there are better places to get that information. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually what I'm gonna do. I'm just I'm just going to talk about uh, well, the different parts, not really explain them. The club is for yeah. Well, good. Uh, you're not gonna believe this. I think there might actually be a few mystery science theater FAQs online, <laughs> <laughs> and they might date back to like us Weberings. <laughs> yeah, FAQ. Who's the guy in the green suit? Answer. He's Mike, and he's not funny. <laughs> uh, this is me quoting somebody. I think Mike Nelson is among the funniest living humans. Yeah. Um, it was. It's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. There's the Mystery Science Theater 3000 Digital Archive Project, which... Oh, what does that do? Uh, that's news to me. That's... It's literally a digital archive. You... Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Go on. You, uh... You know, they have... They try to have all the episodes available um, on YouTube. Oh, okay. As many as they can have legally. Yeah. And uh, they also have uh, stuff that stuff that doesn't fit anywhere, like the home game or the poopy tapes. That stuff, or just stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I never, as much of a completist and a fanatic as I am, I never watched MST the home game. There were a couple like specials and promos they did where even I was like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna actually watch Turkey Day. Somebody just compiled the bumpers for me. Yeah. Um, it's interesting going back and watching the KTMA episodes because you know I am in theater. I know how slapdash a lot of stuff can be when you're doing either live productions or filmed productions, and but it's just fascinating to see them because you see uh, the voices are just hilarious. Like, oh yeah, you, you know, you have Crow who sounds like this, and that guy needs an anti-spasmodic, and you have uh, Tom Servo who sounds like this. Want a complete wing nut? Very, very Kermit the Frog. Yeah. It's funny, uh, this reminds me when they were casting uh, Futurama. Like, I, I think Bender, they said, was one of the hardest characters to cast because a lot of people who came in would go like, oh, the guy's a robot? Okay, I am Bender, I am going to the suicide booth. Like, they do that read. Yeah. And like, there was a point where I think even one of the writers was thinking of stepping in. And then it was John DiMaggio, who, who, by the way, sounds extremely different to, like, early Bender. A robot would have to be crazy. 
<laughs> like that voice absolutely developed, but he came in and played it as a guy. And I think that's something that uh, Trace in particular maybe twigged to that this sounds like a robot, but maybe it's a voice you don't want to hear for two straight goddamn hours. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess Beeper. We should have just had a robot that can't talk. <laughs> Beeper, yeah. yeah. That was back. See, I've never seen the KTMA years. Like, I kind of can't bring myself to do it. Uh, in the very earliest ones, it's just Joel riffing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds terrible, to be honest. Sorry. It's interesting because what happens is uh, the host segments will be very sparse. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it'll just be him coming in and, oh no, we got movie signed. <laughs> and they'll, you literally, I'm not kidding. Wait, no, 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 come, I, I ask sincerely because like I say, I, I haven't seen anything but clips. Is there a scene where he enters and the movie sign starts? Basically. Does that beat the waffles for the shortest host segment? I think it does. Okay. But uh, it's weird because you will go through the doors into the theater. There will be maybe four minutes until Joel walks into the theater. I'm not kidding. It's done in like real time, so you are waiting for him to... Gently mosey around to the theater portion of Best Brains building, which I don't think even existed back then. You gotta go through the rear door, Jimmy it open with a screwdriver. <laughs> that idiot Tibor lost the cave. <laughs> yeah, and it's even sometimes it's even longer for him to make a riff. Like the riffs were very sparse, which I shouldn't dunk on them because it was not scripted, like it was live. That Mm -hmm. It just goes to show you just how talented Josh and Trace and Joel were that, you know, it's it's not the creme de la creme of riffing, but it's good for, like, just three dudes sitting yeah. there. Anybody who has ever tried to sit there and... No, I'm not talking about, like, hanging out with your buddies. I mean, actually try to sit down and, like, start riffing on something and keep it up for 90 minutes, you realize, like, oh, there's a reason they do, like, second and third and seventh passes at these. Um, I think I recalled hearing somewhere that... Uh, there's all sorts of reasons, I think, that uh, Josh uh, Weinstein eventually left the show, but wasn't he the biggest fan of the improvised riffing? I believe so. I recall hearing that, that he was the one who actually liked doing the uh, spur-of-the-moment riffs and felt it was a little tedious to have to actually script the thing. Um, which I can, I guess I can kind of see, like, with no basis for comparison... <gasps> If somebody said, like, hey, you know that show that you're not really getting paid for and, like, we are, you already, like, barely have time to do it on the weekends, we're going to watch those movies that are unwatchable, we're going to watch those a bunch and then prepare material. Yeah. I could see, like, an 18-year-old going, man, screw that. Like, why, why don't we just make fun of this stuff? And to his credit, um, Josh usually gets lost to history because he left the show so early. Uh, he's, he's like the original Beatles drummer, which is a little unfair. He's a very funny guy and quick as hell. Oh, yeah. Like, he's spur of the moment. I think he is one of the best riffers. So I guess I can understand why that transition might hurt him a little. This incidentally leads me to one of my uh, 
favorite things they ever do on the show, which is when they will have somebody else riff. And I'm not talking about Last of the Wild Horses, where they have guests in the theater, but I think, is it Castle of Fu Manchu, where they challenge Frank and Forrester? I believe so. Yeah, and it's like, well, you guys try riffing the movie. It's like, fine, we will. It's not that hard. And they watch it for like a minute and go like, uh, oh, uh, look out. Not not this guy again. Turn it off. Turn it off. And I, I think that's them reacting to people who go, man, I could do this job. It's like, yeah, that's like playing football in your backyard and going, I don't know what all those millionaires at the Super Bowl are talking about. This shit's pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, nothing tickles me more than the not very good riffing. Because when you, and obviously they got much better at it, but from what I've seen in the KTMA years, it is totally like, oh man, this guy should cram a sock in it. And then Joel goes, okay guys, don't get too mean-spirited. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although they did have some interesting episodes, like uh, stuff that they didn't, they never brought back, because they brought back several of the episodes to do stuff like Phase Four, right? Yeah, Phase Four was never brought back. Um, Humanoid Woman, which is a film I actually like, which depending on on how you interpret the title, is quite misogynistic. The human or woman who takes over my position. <laughs> yeah, it's an, a, a movie I actually like. It's this bizarre Russian well, sci-fi film. You know, that that would be fun. Because fun is for. I'm, I'm not sure how much I have to say about KTMA, not having, not having seen it. I don't know if I mentioned that. I haven't seen KTMA yet. But uh, let's play that game for a minute. What movies from any era of Mystery Science Theater 3000, what movies do you think are actually pretty good? I would, um, again, Humanoid Woman. Okay. Maybe it's just my fondness for Russian sci-fi films like Tarkovsky and stuff like that. But, uh... The guy who did Samurai Jack, he is good. (laughs) Um, The Magic Sword... Yes. The Russo-Finnish Quadroika. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm blanking a little bit. Okay. Well, I'm with you there. I think the ones with the fantasy elements are the ones that, uh, for whatever reason, they tend to be the opulent. They tend to uh, keep moving. So they even say in the, the uh, episode guide when they're reviewing Magic Sword and says, uh, stars Basil Rathbone and uh, Stella Winwood and is actually pretty good. And you're like, yeah, there are much worse movies. Uh, like in the Rift Tracks era, they did Jack the Giant Killer. It was not like a movie I terribly like, but I watched that. It's colorful, it's well designed, it has monsters. You're like, well, Christ, yes. Give give me this over Monster or Go-Go any day. The Breath has a Castlevania reference and that's everything. There we go. So the Russo Finnish movies in particular, that's something they say they marveled at, how it would just go from genuine opulence and splendor and captivating film to the spazziest nonsense you would ever imagine, like the underwater scenes and Simba. (laughs) Kill me! But they were rarely boring. Um, So, I don't know, I'd say from the Joel era, 
my pick for the best movie is uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, which is a... Froze. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. But screw that other movie. No one likes that one. <laughs> uh, the Day the Earth Froze, which um, is one of the Russo Finnish movies. Genuinely good. Very weird, but yeah. looks great, has an interesting tone. The special effects are inventive, so they've aged well. It is an older movie. And it taps into my fantasy nerd stuff of, like, we trapped the North Wind in a bag in a cave. Ooh, tell me more. As far as the best actual movie, I might go with a Kitten with a Whip. Yeah. Mike era. Because it's silly and sensationalistic, and there's plenty to make fun of, but it actually works as a B movie, as a yeah. weird little piece of griminess. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very pulpy, but it's a movie. So. Yeah, and it's it's the good definition of a of a B movie. Because people always people throw that out like it's a slight, like oh this is like this is a B movie. Like B, B movies are good. Like if you mean garbage, like Monster Go Go and Red Zone Cuba are Z movies. Yeah. B movies are things like Kitten with a Whip. They're also things like the first Godzilla and Spielberg's Duel, and and stuff that like works on a somewhat more immediate, pulpier level, but is still very satisfying. And sometimes in a way that you know more artistically inclined films uh, kind of lose their way on because they're so busy being good, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, well. Yeah, the the of course the the Comedy Central years were so expansive because we had you know so many changing of the guards mm-hmm. from Josh to Frank, from Joel to Mike, from Frank to Pearl, mm-hmm. or from from Frank to Mary Jo, I should say. Yeah. Which, uh, by the way, a pretty thankless job. Um, Pearl in the season seven Pearl, like isn't my favorite thing in the world, but it's that's kind of unfair to her. She was brought in for this season that barely exists, like this weird little epilogue. They just needed to have somebody that Trace could play off of. Yeah, and so they throw her in there, and the whatever. It's not like the funniest stuff ever, but. The fan reaction essentially did boil down to a dame. Yeah, and it's like, guys, don't don't worry about like if you hate her, the show's still gonna be canceled in another six episodes, anyways. Like, don't sweat it. And then, of course, when she comes back in the sci-fi years, and they, like they actually kind of let her do her own thing, uh, turns out she's hilarious. Like Mary Jo is incredibly funny when. She's playing off, you know, the goons and talking about uh, her chicken and biscuits. <laughs> um, well, let's... Uh, I don't know. Maybe you want to do this. Maybe you don't. But since we're talking about uh, the changing uh, roles and everything, let's do something that's sure to not be controversial. Do you have a favorite when it comes to host and boss and mats? Anything stand out? I think I think my favorite my favorite bots or just anything I'm just making conversation <laughs> um, 
But, uh, I mean, the show goes through different eras, as you say, and it's easy to kind of use uh, the cast as milestones, in the literal sense, like milestone markers. Um, but more than that, there's just a gradual shift in tone, the, like the sort of silly Sid and Marty Croft playhouse tone of, you know, Joel's earlier stuff, uh, eventually becomes... By the time they get to the sci-fi years, like, it's just this ruthless riffing machine, because that's what Mike is really good at. But then some people lament, like, I guess that there's, like, literally more jokes, but is it less playful than it was? Like, everybody has their own era that they tap into. Uh, I think my era was, uh... From... Brain that wouldn't die to uh, Laser Blast. That had to be my favorite era. So, Mike, I mean, there's a shorter yeah. way to say that. Uh, call me Central Era Mike. Yeah. That works for me. Um, I do like every era of the show, and I am sort of of the mind that it just kind of kept getting better and better and better. Mm-hmm. There are things that I like better from the Joel era. There's things that I find endearing. It's even just stuff that you really shouldn't care about, but like the lighting. I always like the flat, gray, affectless lighting from the Comedy Central years as opposed to the more like moody, almost lurid look they had. Like, yeah. Time I get the side of it. Not that it like takes me out of the show, mm-hmm. but I'm like. Every piece of 90s crap had that weird, like, you know, purple, red, blue lighting coming from 12 different directions. I don't mind when it just looked like a flat-ass set that they just, you know, clearly were just filming these things in one take. So uh, there's dumb differences that shouldn't mind like that. I do feel like the show just kept getting funnier and funnier as it went. Um... And I love seasons 9 and 10. For me, it may be peaks in season 8. And I remember, this was many years ago, after the show had ended, but well before now, you and I actually watched every episode. Mm -hmm. And it took us like a year, but we started at the beginning, we watched it all the way through, we caught all the running gags, It it was just like a fun thing to do in the evenings when we were both still living at home. And it was a blast, uh, a laser blast, if you will. And I remember getting to season eight, and not just that that's a good season, because I do think season eight is the best season, but there was a stretch in the middle where it was like Jack Frost, Agent for Harm, Riding with Death. Even within the season, it was like a four or five episode run where you're like, this is just the best thing ever. This is like... Simpsons season four or five, like this is as good as anything is ever going to get. This makes the other stuff from this series pale in comparison a little bit. Just, you lucky dog, you're about to find out I'm Ben Murphy. (laughs) Yeah. With the sci-fi era, it was neat because the first first ten, I think maybe ten episodes... Um, it was, a lot of the episodes were kind of universal, international, uh, mm-hmm. uh, pot boilers, 
this like these 1950s black and white B monster movies. Sub this island Earth. Sub this island Earth. Yeah. They were all about on the level of the brain that wouldn't die, which is a really solid episode. So you had you. Oh, know, you, you mean the the sh- the episodes are on par, not the quality of the films. Both. Uh, oh, okay. I would not call Brain that Wouldn't Die a good film. <laughs> no, no, but I mean like the uh, the quality of the riffing. The quality of the okay. riffing. I just sorry. I just, I'm not trying to trip you up. I, I just wanted to. I mean, there were sure understood. There were all episodes that were like Brain that Wouldn't Die, like. The <laughs> including one with a beheading. Yeah, including one with an actual beheading. Um, like I was a teenage werewolf. That was. That's that's a keeper. Yeah. I thought it was all right if I picked a little fight, bonanza. <laughs> Stay. That was also correct me if I'm wrong. If anybody's listening to this, they're welcome to complain. Season 8, first half of season 8 was the era of I Thought You Were Dale. Yeah. Which I think is their longest unbroken runner. Like, there, there's stuff that they would, like, latch onto and never let go of, and they would come back to it constantly. But I'm talking sequentially. I would swear there are 12 straight episodes that have a I Thought You Were Dale episode, uh, joke in them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And of course, the you know there there's weird stuff in the sci-fi era, like uh, a little bit, yeah. like having to have a storyline, which of course gets jumbled up because they never show them in order. I love the yeah that that was something the cast complained about, right? Yeah, like one of the few. To their credit, Sci-Fi Channel brought the show back, and it was on like a hot streak, and and they they seem to actually uh, be willing to work with the show. I read once that they had their stupid Sci-Fi Channel logo, mm-hmm. and they actually moved it so that it wouldn't overlap with Crow, which doesn't seem like that big a deal, but like imagine going to your boss at the network and saying, could you do this, and then they like throw a stapler at you or something. So... Yeah. In some ways, I think they were willing to work with the show, but one of the mandates was, uh, yeah, you had to have a plot line, because that's why people watch Mystery Science Theater, of course, the complicated Battlestar Galactica-style plot lines. Yeah. Uh, Which did lead to some funny stuff. I actually don't mind the serialized nature of Season 8, but uh, I'm a weirdo, and my brain doesn't work properly. So, uh, again, they tried to impose a plot which the show did not need and you are quite right after initial airings they never showed them in order again so it didn't matter yeah, yeah. but then again um, I will state this wholeheartedly that gave us the ancient Roman <laughs> yes I gave us the ancient Roman uh, sketch sketches, which gave us the greatest uh, special effect of all time. I'm with you here. But honey, the statue. <laughs> now we keep throwing out lines, and I assume that like diehard Misties will will like catch whatever we're talking about. If you are blanking on this, it is a scene where uh, 
You have Kevin Murphy as the Roman senator named Jeremy Calipigius, <laughs> which is that that if you had to boil mystery science theater's sense of humor down into one joke, that would be it. A really clever historical joke about butts. <laughs> so yeah, Calipigius, his wife Flavia. Anytime you can get Bridget on screen, I'm happy. You had the pair of them, and then Bobo shows up. Which means Kevin has to be in the shot. <laughs> he has to play both roles. So Bobo shows up, and then it's, uh, Cal, run to the market and get us some grapes. And a hand leans in. <laughs> and Kevin Murphy, with a clearly different vocal quality, almost as if pre-recorded, goes, <laughs> The deer, the statue, uh, yes, deer. <laughs> it ranks up there with the, uh, the space kids, uh, when Pearl has to return the space children to their parents. Body, Darlene, Scooter! <laughs> like, yeah, nobody has a more feminine voice than Kevin Murphy. <laughs> um, so we're already kind of all over the place in terms of uh, comparisons, and um, I don't think we ever engaged in this directly, but you remember how Joel versus Mike was a thing? Yeah. Um... Hard to imagine now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, are, are actually very easy to imagine, but still quite stupid. Um, there's all sorts of behind-the-scenes stuff on Mystery Science Theater. They're all still frequently working together. I don't think there's too much bad blood. I think Jim Mallon usually gets pegged as, like, the villain in the stories. Mm-hmm. And whatever, like, I'm not going to, like, die on the Jim Mallon hill as opposed to you know, siding with Joel, but I feel like it's maybe easy to do that. Like, the human brain just wants to turn everything into David and Goliath. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, they fired Josh? That guy must have been a real a-hole. Like, oh, man, Jim's the one who, you know, tanked the show. I'm like, I don't know. I think it's just hard making anything good for a while, and creative people are going to butt heads, and... Maybe not everything is going to last forever. Like, I love Trace and Frank to death, but I I seem to recall them leaving the show because having established their credentials there, they wanted to make a run for it in Hollywood, like like everyone does. That is yeah. a brass ring for show business. And then it didn't happen, and they came back and did what they were good at. Like, Frank is like a political uh, rabble-rouser on Twitter and on NPR and stuff, and you know, they uh, tour around and riff, and you're like I wish everybody I loved was a millionaire, but that's, yeah, maybe just like, it, it's cool to just be what you're good at. I feel like that's what the era of podcasting has given us. Yeah. I suddenly realized like, oh, I like the guys. So no, I was just saying, uh, probably my favorite uh, podcast these days is The Flophouse, which has a Mystery Science Theater connection there. And it's written by guys who used to write for The Daily Show. And I listen to it and go, The Flophouse is way funnier than anything that's ever been on The Daily Show, even though it probably doesn't pay as well. So anyways, that's a long tangent. I apologize for mentioning all that. What else do you want to talk about? Um, I wanted to bring up the Netflix era, which is 
with the Netflix era, um, I was so excited about it, and so, uh, scared about it. No, seriously, I was scared about it, like, oh god, is this gonna be good? Is this gonna, are they gonna ruin it? And I swear to god, first episode, first host segment, the song Every Country Has a Monster, I'm like, yeah, they're, they're in good hands. Yeah. They're that, doing it. They're hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, I, I think they maybe anticipated that, and I don't think it was accidental that they front-loaded that, but um, I'm with you there. I, I think a lot of people who like the new show would agree how they're... Uh, they get to the first break, they find uh, the Every Country Has a Monster song, and there's a real sense of, okay, well, if you don't like this, then just leave. If this isn't good enough for you, then, to quote Goldmember, there's just no pleasing you. Um, yeah, I, well, maybe let's talk about that for a minute, because I feel like the Comedy Central and sci-fi years are, like, that's considered MST classic. Like, even people who don't like Mike as much as Joel still acknowledge that that's the show. Mm -hmm. Whereas the new season feels like a real revival, which I love, but uh, some people surprisingly d did not. I thought it was just terrific, but it's a reviled revival among uh, weirdos who seem to hate the things they like. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about that. There, there was a great line uh, referring to the sci-fi years uh, this MST webmaster said, uh, can you pick out the exact moment where you knew the show was going to be fine, moving to sci-fi? And this particular website guy, he said it's in the beginning of uh, the, is it the Re Return of the Creature? Yeah, Revenge yeah. of the Creature. Revenge of the Creature, they're going through the Everglades, and uh, they see a bird, and Tom goes, Egrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. And the guy literally went, they're going to be fine. I, I shouldn't have worried. This show is going to be what it always was. I absolutely love Every mon every Nation Has a Monster. As far as an actual riff, when they, the, the first Netflix episode is Reptilicus, mm -hmm. and there's a scene they find like the, the remains of him, and it's like, the creature was this large, and there's a whole press corps there. And this press agent goes, oh, uh, perhaps you could call the creature Reptilicus Giganticus. And they go, oh, that's a good idea. Or I could name it Reporticus Shutoffacus. <laughs> and, it's, it's, it's so great because it's not clever. It's like the, the Futurama thing. Like, your last wife liked begonias. Yeah, she also liked shutting off. <laughs> Sometimes it's better if you're not clever. Uh, I remember hearing that and just cracking up. And it's probably my favorite line from Reptilicus, along with the invisible ice cream cone, where I'm just like, this show's going to be fine. These guys are funny. Like, don't don't sweat it so much. So what would you say is the good, the bad, the ugly from the, uh, the Netflix era? The good is... Um... The energy of it, the energy of it, the fact that they're kind of moving back towards the fun puppet showy uh, <laughs> attitude point. of the Joel era. The bad is um, 
I don't really know if there's a bad so much as there is that that his wings were clipped so quickly. I I would agree with you there. And the ugly is the fact that there was a lot of stuff that they didn't get into, like uh, um, that like there's a lot of stuff they didn't get into, like. Dr. Donna St. Fimes, the character mm -hmm. played by Deanna Rooney, who is uh, who's Jonah Ray's wife. Mm -hmm. um, I have nothing against the character. It's just she just kind of shows up. She just kind of shows up, and yeah. I mean, it, she could have been a funny as hell character if they kept her along, but it was just like right at the end. And that's it. Yeah, and I, I don't. I joked earlier about nepotism. I'm not saying that's why she's on the show because she is funny, and I love the little stingray puppet. It does sort of have that that same vibes of uh, of like, who's the new character? And you're like, oh, it's it's uh, Jonah's wife. And you're like, okay, like I guess she's like here because they wanted to work together. Which I'm not making fun of that. I, I think that's actually kind of cool and sweet, but. It just sort of comes out of nowhere, and it's, I don't know, I made fun of people earlier for, like, the ooh girls response, and I realized that some of my examples are going to trend that way, but it's like when they had the character of, uh, of Cynthia, mm -hmm. and, like, she's funny, it's the same performer who does the, the new voice for Gypsy. Yeah. And she's she's really good. I, I like her, especially as Gypsy. So they have Cynthia, and it's like, well, it's Pearl's uh, robot uh, clone or cybernetic clone. And you you go like, oh, uh, cool. What's she gonna do? It's like, not much actually. Like, which I shouldn't really, uh, I shouldn't lambast a show for having too many ideas and too much ambition. But on the occasions where it, it like doesn't quite land. Because that's the main thing. I don't think the show's, like... It's never atonal for me. It's never too mean. It's never boring, necessarily. But every now and again, like, the timing of something seems a little strange. They'll, mm -hmm. they'll like, do a segment with Max and Kenga, and then they'll just kind of, like, hold on it for a bit, and you go, did they, like, not cut? Was there... And then you find out later that they basically film those in one take. Yeah. So like, oh, okay, okay. Then, like, you... You just filmed these in a weekend when, like, Patton and Felicia were available. So, in that case, like, kudos that they are in a bigger train wreck. Every now and again, there'd be stuff like that. But stuff like Cynthia or when they have uh, the Bonesy the dog uh, in the, the second Netflix season. Like, Artie's dog, Bonesy. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine said that he didn't really care for the dog. He said, uh, it's just like Joel showing off something he could do with like puppetry and tech, but it's not actually that funny. And when I watched it, I'm like, I'm kind of with you there. Like, like it's visually interesting, but there's nothing, it's not saying you're doing anything especially funny. So like, there's a little bit of that going on, but then at the same time, like I love the songs. I love M. Waverly and Growler. Um, the name M. Waverly is yeah. worth its weight in gold. Why? Where did that come from? Truly, like you know more than I do. Is that somebody? I think they just wanted to give a robot the most dude name in the world. It's right. It sounds like. Uh, 
a gothic era English novelist. Yeah. You know, the new work from Edward uh, Buller Lytton and the new work from M. Waverly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's actually a woman like the M was used as an alias like J.K. Rowling so that people wouldn't be scared off that's my theory anyways yeah yeah. and then Growler is very explicitly their version of Rolf yeah. and totally welcome for that um, so there's a few things I, I do like the Netflix era a lot I had another friend who uh, he watched the first couple episodes and he said like yeah, I didn't like it. Like, why not? And he says, there's too many jokes. Like, it, it's too fast. It's too rapid fire, where it's just like one thing on top of another. Like, it's too much. And I guess, I, I know, like, the concept of the wacky stack, where, like, something, there's so much funny going on that, like, nothing, no individual thing is funny. I get that that's a real phenomenon, but that seems like such a dumb argument to make for MST in particular. Like, hey, why don't you like it? There's too many jokes. You know that show that famously has like 3,000 jokes an episode? It pisses me off that there's 3,020 now. And what am I supposed to do? Go back and watch Mystery Science Theater twice? Who would ever do that? Yeah, yeah it's, it's like one of those things, famously, MST is like the Naked Gun or The Simpsons. You watch it once, you catch everything, and then you don't have to bother again. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm just like going off here. Um, this brings us to uh, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 live show that you and I went to oh, yes. recently, which... As of four days ago. As of four days ago, which was an absolute delight. Yes. Um, I think it's still going on after this, as of this recording. recording. And, uh, yeah, it's it's Joel. It's, uh, the setup is basically Joel still up in space. And the Mads are, uh... What was it? Cynthia and Pearl. It's puppets of Cynthia and Pearl. Yeah, which... And they create Mega Cynthia, who is a very tall woman. Yeah, uh, it's, she's one of the performers of Puppeteers, but apparently she's just like 6'2". Yeah. She's like like Swedish ancestry or something, so... I think they probably had... The shoes looked pretty uh, dense, too. She's yeah. some Doc Martens, so that probably doesn't hurt. Um... Yeah, it's probably best not to worry about the actual uh, chronology here, which is something they even make fun of in the new live tour, where like the yeah. new, like Tom and Crow are saying like, you remember when we got back to Earth that one time? Well, not us, but the robots who looked like us who got back to Earth with Mike, not the robots who were still up there with uh, Jonah and got back to Earth at the end of the Netflix season. And they go like, oh God, there's too much continuity. It, it is the living embodiment of why would Joel be back up in space? It's like, let me refer you to a lyric from the theme song that has stood me in good stead for the last 30 years. Um, as far as the, like, the Mads, yeah, there's a weird thing where it is hand puppets of Pearl and Cynthia. Like, in a TV, but like they lean out of the TV. It's, it's very much like Joel's TV wheel aesthetic. Yeah. I will confess that as much as I like the show, that was maybe the biggest thing that didn't work for me. The puppets look hideous. 
they have guys' voices, which is meant to be funny, but there's a point where you're like, oh, uh, this is a character which neither looks nor sounds like that barely glimpsed clone of another character. And you're like, just, just, just come up with a new thing. Just scrap it. Like, I get that MST, like the tour, draws from nostalgia, and I don't mind that, but there's a point where maybe just come up with something new. Yeah. Which they do, because Joel has an assistant, right? Yeah, Joel has a new assistant, yeah. Emily, who's in a gray jumpsuit. Yeah. <laughs> Her only defining characteristic. Yeah. It's like Dondi. No other information is known to exist. She's pretty cool. No, she's, uh, she was quite good, and I love Joel to bits, but he is like... You know, 90? <laughs> um, okay, I'm being ageist, but yeah, he's up there. He, like, and One thing I give him a lot of credit for in both the Netflix thing and the new tour is he clearly wants to hand this off eventually. Whereas Mike taking over and like the changing of the guards during the Comedy Central years was... That seemed a little less amicable, like Joel wanted to leave the show for whatever reason, and... Yeah, we're just going to go with this. Joel seems content to... He wants MST to keep going forever. Like James Bond and Godzilla. It's like a property that could go on forever, which I think is actually true. And he seems happier to kind of grandfather it in. Which is one reason it's cute that he's playing Artie, right? Like, he's, yeah. in, the, uh, he's in the episodes, but you don't see his face. And it maybe takes you an episode or two to realize, like... Wait a minute. I know that corn, that cow country drawl right there. Movie in the hole. But yeah, it was, it was a wonderful show. Mm -hmm. They had intermissions. Uh, the, the bots were operated by new guys. Voice operated by new guys. Um, it was done in a Bunraku style of puppeteering. Like full black puppeteers who stand far enough back on the stage that they are largely invisible. Yeah. Which allowed them to show off most because uh, they alternated movies, if I'm not mistaken. We yeah. saw No Retreat, No Surrender, which is just chef's kiss. That's, that's exactly the kind of movie that I love them doing. Jean-Claude Van Damme versus a weedy 80s kid who's trained by the ghost of Bruce Lee, which neither looks nor sounds like Bruce Lee. Kind of moves like him, I'm not going to lie. Kinda, Fair enough. Kind of moves like him. Um, yeah, they apparently alternated it, that with Circus of Death. Mm. And so my assumption was that they didn't want to do movie-specific intermissions because you would have to do twice as many. Yeah. You'd have to have both. And like this already seems like a fairly involved production. Should, uh, so they did uh, somewhat generic circus-themed stuff. Like Fire Swallowers, which shows off Joel has a way to make realistic looking not fire. Like the faux yeah. ire from Moonbeam City. Mm -hmm. it, so a lot of the interstitial segments were, what can we make the crow puppet do? Can we make it lift weights? Can we make it ride a unicycle? It turns out, yeah, not bad for a puppet that only occasionally had a lower half back in the day. Yeah. Um, so... I don't know, talking about this this current era, uh, the Netflix stuff, there's there's two things in particular that stand out for me in the Netflix shows, um, beyond just being very funny, which I think they are. 
first of all, when they hired Jonah Ray, I think he's a perfectly charming new host. And I feel there was a lot of pushback there. There were people going like, man, I'm funnier than Jonah Ray. Like, that right there is the key to what you just said. Yeah. Every white guy of a certain age probably thinks, man, I could host MST. I, I, I could host MST. Could I host MST? So yeah. It's like, dude, like... He got lucky. Don't don't worry about it. Like he's he's a funny guy. He's as good as anyone else for the job. But when they were casting the uh, the bots, I, I give Joel such enormous credit for this. Instead of going like, we should do this. Maybe we can get so and so to come back. Joel just apparently just told Jonah Ray, you pick your co-hosts. Yeah, yeah. He said the reason that the show was good in the first place was that he had chemistry. With uh, you know, like Trace and Josh and Kevin, Mike had chemistry with them later. And Trace and Frank have like unbelievable chemistry together. Mm-hmm. He said, "You are going to be doing like two-hour shows with these guys. You need to have somebody who you're comfortable playing off of." And so Jonah Ray is not like a household name, but he's he's reasonably successful. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, he he's podcast famous, nerdist famous. Um. So, they let him pick, and he picked two guys who were not super well-known, I would say, mm-hmm. and maybe still aren't after the show, but absolutely deserve to be. Hampton Yunt and Baron Vaughn, as Crow and Tom, respectively. Uh, I wanted to say a few words about those guys. Do you have anything? Uh, I'm sucking up all the air in the room. I mean, what do you think of, the, of Hampton and Baron? I think they're amazing. Yeah. I love how... I love how Baron gives um, Servo kind of the rich baritone that uh, Josh had. And I love Hampton's energy with Crow. How he always seems like he wants to fight. Yes. And you tap into something there. Uh, The puppetry is good because apparently they have like multiple puppeteers now. It's yeah. a far more involved production. And apparently the guys who puppeteer uh, Tom and Crow now voice Growler and M. Waverly. Mm-hmm. That's adorable. So anyways, uh, I'm with you there. I think the joke with Servo has always been that he's a tiny little fire hydrant robot who's like a foot tall. But they give him the cool voice. Mm-hmm. Like Josh... If you've never seen him, Josh's speaking voice is Tom. It's not Dr. Earhart. Yeah. Uh, and so that great, like, oh, hey, hey, baby. Like when he's flirting with the blender. Yeah. That's adorable. Kevin has, uh, like, the great Irish baritone. Like, the, uh, the almost big Crosby quality. Ba 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 ba. Hey, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the sort of faux announcery stuff that Phil Hartman could do well, and so Baron, like not, not to be cheesy, like they finally got like a black guy on MST, so I don't want to just make it go like he has a black voice, because he doesn't. Like Baron actually has like a very interesting, distinct speaking voice, but it is incredibly suave. Yeah, like he's a very cool sounding guy, and you know, and you're absolutely right. Hampton is. Psychotic. That was how I always broke it down. Trace's crow was the most, uh, like, puckish of the crows. Uh, Bill's crow is the most sarcastic 
of the crows. And then the, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> you know what? I'm sick of this nonsense. And then Hampton's crow is just psychotic. You're absolutely just like, okay, movie. You showed me the sizzle. Now show me the steak. <laughs> he always seems just a little mad. Yeah. And from all descriptions, that's I think that's what Jonah Ray said about Hampton. He has the air of a serial killer feeding ducks in the park. Like, he's this incredible maniac, but you don't know it when you look at him. Yeah. You said he's he's like if your milkman was a murderer. There, yeah, there was... I think maybe he used both, but there's that. And uh, the run of episodes, since it's already done, sadly, uh, we can talk about the, the Netflix episodes themselves. Not individually, but I was so happy with... Uh, season 11 the return like whatever you want to call yeah. it it was such a good crop of films like they had to meet certain standards so there's nothing black and white nothing too boring they i think they wanted the films to be semi-watchable on their own terms but man it really is like a best of so you have like pure 50s sci-fi cheese like time travelers you have uh, a kaiju movie, Yongari, which is one of my favorites of the whole season. Um, Cry Wilderness, which is just like the the WTF sort of movie they do every now and again. Like, I don't even. It's about like Bigfoot meets the Canadian kid. You tell me. Um, they had a Christmas movie, which is you know those those were always classic, and they even do the thing of. When they would air sequels immediately, so their two Godzilla movies are back-to-back, their two Master Ninja movies are back-to-back. Mm-hmm. I love how when they did, uh, what is it, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom, yeah. they aired those back-to-back. And that, that was such a nice touch to me. Um, do you have a favorite out of the Netflix run? Um... I have to say that I don't, actually. I might stunt for Beast of the Hollow Mountain. I might say Carnival Magic. Carnival. That one just doesn't so bad shot. That's just a little too greasy for me. It's a little too, like, baby's first incredibly strange creatures. Uh, But it is extremely hilarious. I'm just saying, like, uh, there's a few others that are even more my sort of goofy and then uh season 12 like mst the gauntlet which as it currently stands is the last season um what did you think of that did it live up to the first netflix season or almost or no almost yeah yeah it's it's certainly not a wash i think it's hilarious and i had fun watching it but it feel free to chime in <laughs> but Watching that one, um, I think they maybe misunderstood like how people tend to watch these things. Because the, the, the idea was it's the gauntlet. You're meant to watch all six of the episodes in a row. Yeah. You're meant to watch all six of them together, which strung together takes, uh, what, what would you say, like eight hours, I think? I think so. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't quite work because... They were going like, oh, well, people 
binge uh, Orange is the New Black and BoJack Horseman and all this other Netflix stuff. Like, yeah, but at the end of the day, Mystery Science Theater is still a movie. Each installment mm-hmm. is still a movie outside of... Like, I don't know anybody who actually sat down and watches, watched Turkey Day start to finish. Yeah. It was just that it was on. It would be on in the background. Yeah. And then if you found out a favorite of yours was coming on, then you would, like... Okay, guy, like, at 5 o'clock, they're showing Skydivers. Like, we'll, we'll sit down for that one. Yeah. And... I uh, like a bunch of my friends are fellow Misties, and we all love the new season. I don't know a soul who watched it all in one sitting, and so going with that approach seemed like a somewhat misguided. Perhaps it also meant that they they cut down the runtime of the episodes, mm-hmm. which that's not that big a deal. But for me, like a solid ninety minutes, like credits to credits for Mystery Science Theater works for me but uh with this i don't know i, I just felt like uh when you trim it down to like 80 minutes it barely has yeah to breathe so i don't know then again for me that's the ideal length of our riff tracks so what can i say yeah well i like killer fish that's a yeah good one. oh and i i'll chime in one last time and then you know maybe i'll seed the mic because i I know I'm a motor mouth. Um, I do like all the new episodes. I think they're very funny. My one exception would be uh, Atlantic Rim Mm -hmm. because it's one of those, if it's not from the asylum, it's that sort of movie. It is an asylum. Okay. I don't, nothing against the asylum, whatever, they're making money, blah, blah, blah. I don't like when they do that for the mystery science theaters. Yeah. The only ones that I don't enjoy are stuff like Atlantic Rim or when Rift Tracks did Sharknado because mm-hmm. it's missing, good or bad, the movies have to be intended sincerely for the jokes to work. And when they do Sharknado, it's like, hey, hey, how about how about Lava Lantula? How about like Sharknados, but then like the sharks shoot piranhas out of their mouths? We're making it bad on purpose. Yeah. You could finance your student film for a tenth of what we're spending on this internet joke. Yeah. Yeah, when they do that, I'm like, not funny, don't care, boring. So Yeah. And there were still some good jokes, but that that is like handily my least favorite of the Netflix era. Yeah. So uh uh I think that's about all we have to say about Mystery Science Theater three thousand. We might come back to it in a later podcast, but uh I think that's all for now. Um, this has been Penny Tolerable. I have been uh, Jeremy. This has been Nathaniel. Hi, this has been me. Where can we Here find KTMA? Where can we find you, Nathaniel? Other places? Oh, uh, well, uh, not too many other places, but uh, I was the host of All Creatures Great and Okay, a podcast about animals by people who know nothing about animals. Um, that is currently terminated i wouldn't mind doing it again someday but uh it's on hiatus indefinitely for now you can find it online uh all creatures great and okay i'm proud of the work we did there our currently running one is a dungeons and dragons themed podcast the pretendium compendium and jeremy you know how these days uh 
live play podcasts like Dungeons and Dragons actual play podcasts are just phenomenally successful. I sure do. Okay, well, my friend and I thought, why don't we not do that? Why don't we take that thing that's successful, but instead of playing D&D, which people want to hear, we talk about D&D. Neither one of us knows that much about the uh, property. So Sounds good to me. It's, yeah, it's a journey unto itself. I'm just kidding. We have a lot of fun, and uh, I co-host it with my friend Randy, who is uh, way smarter and funnier than I am and knows all the things like how to set up a microphone and uh, release a podcast. So you can check us out there. It's uh, pretendiumpod.com. We are at Pretendium on Twitter. Uh, yeah, check us out. Hit us up. Please do. It's hilarious. You okay. guys, you guys don't like it. Thank you. He's saying this as an impartial uh, yeah. third party. So, so well, yeah. thank you for having me, Jeremy. I, I know Welcome. I, I know I go go off for a while, but as you can tell, it's a favorite topic. Uh, but yeah, if you ever want to cover the the post mystery science theory years, I'd be happy to yeah. join you for that too. All right. Um, this has been Penny Tolerable. This has been Jeremy, and that's all I have to say. Hello. If you can, please get the charities for those disenfranchised in these still troubled times. An example might be the Over Project, which helps black trans people with food, shelter, and other needs of life. Also, support the Trevor Project, a mental health hotline for LGBTQ youths in trouble. Uh, as for Nathaniel, you can find him at the Pretendium Compendium, his own podcast, where he talks about Dungeons and Dragons and other fantasy fair. Uh, if you would like to see more of me, you can find me on my YouTube channel, Jeans which is J-E-E-M-S. You can find me on my Tumblr, which is also Jeans, my TikTok, Jeans84, my Twitter, the show's Twitter is at Tolerable, and I'm at MyPlanetIsJ, and you can find me on my Instagram at at MyPlanetIsJeremy. Uh, we are available on Anchor, SoundCloud, Spotify, and several other podcast platforms. Now, on with the show. Uh-huh.